Good day. <laughs> Good day. Good day, <laughs> Mitchell. Good day. I was worried about this. I don't know. I, I, can I hear you? I mean, you can. I can hear you just fine. It feels like you're at your house. Well, I mean, it's not 1987. Well, that's about the last time. Actually, about ten years earlier than that was the last time I was out of the country. So I, I don't know how the technology works. Well, it's called a cell phone. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I know you're opposed to cell phones, but you know, many people around the world use them. They're very, very new cell phones. Yeah. And uh, you should you should try to get on board. You sound so crystal clear. Now, what time is it in uh, in London right now? It is six a.m. And you're getting ready to go to business meetings. You got business in London. <laughs> I got business here shortly, about to start the, the gauntlet of two, three full days of nonstop meetings. Ah, so how has it been so far? When did you get there? Tell us a little bit about it. I guess we shouldn't do that now. Let's do that in the first segment. You know, this is not the, this is, we're, we're rolling, by the way. I, ho- I hope you're okay with that. I mean, this is. I'm fine. Let's do it. This is, yeah, this is not, uh, there's no editing. You gave me a hard time for editing, so I just figured we'd be rolling from the beginning, and uh you're in London, and so it's kind of mm-hmm. an it's kind of an international flavored episode number fourteen. <laughs> it is. You're not it the is. you're not the only one from outside the United States. Do you believe me on that? On this show? Oh, is that right? Yeah. You 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 booked an international guest list. Yeah, I feel like if you're going to be on from London, then I ought to get another mm-hmm. guest on from Central America, which is exactly what I did. I got a guy on. Wow. I got a guy on who's part of the gambling site. Bet Online AG. His name is Dave Mason. He uh, he moved there from Philadelphia. He's in Central America. It's illegal, of course, sure. to gamble online in the state of Washington. But you know, we've got people listening to Mitch Unfiltered from all over the country and all over the world where it is legal, like where you are. I mean, sports wagering is not only legal where you are; it's like encouraged, Ladbrokes of London. Yes, there are betting houses. All across the UK and yeah. uh, on street corners, like it's a convenience store. That's right. And so yeah. uh, we've got you from London. We've got Dave Mason from Central America. We've got Joel Corey, a former NFL players agent, salary cap guy for CBSSports.com. We're going to have an in-depth chat on the off season that faces your dear friend John Schneider. Mm-hmm. We've got the number one bracketologist in America. Over the last five years, true story, number one. Okay. So this 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 website called Bracket Matrix ranks the 127 people that do bracketology, like Joe Lenardi and all those guys, Jerry yeah. Palm. Yeah, yeah. They take yeah. all of their projections. They look at how they did with an at large. They look at how they did in seeding, and then they have a statistical formula. And they rank mm-hmm. all 127. For an example, your boy Joe Lenardi, my boy Joe Lenardi, was 68th in the last five years out of 127 guys. 68th. Wow. That is middle of the road. We've got the number one guy over the last five years on episode number 14. He does a website called Bracketville. I found him. He's in Indiana. And we've got to go to the source to find out, okay, what is the situation for your boys at the University of Washington? They're 3-0. and yeah. They've won two road games in a row. They come back home for a couple of games this week. And I figured, let's get the guy who's rated the highest of all these bracketologists. And we got him on that's episode fa- number 14. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. 
And if yeah. and if we have time, if we have time in the green room, waiting in the green room is of course the guy that we didn't get to last episode, the coach of the undefeated ninth grade hoops team at O'Day High School. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think he's uh, he's appearing on this episode. Yeah. So, well, he's in the green room and he's waiting. And if we can get to him, we'll, yeah, okay. we'll get to him. It's all brought to you by Zeke's and Daniel's Broiler. Also, Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Get on the order list for the reinvented Land Rover Defender. Went away for a few years and it's on the way back. Land Rover of Bellevue has promised that if you're a listener of Mitch Unfiltered and interested in reserving one of these iconic vehicles, you go to the top of the list. You get your pick of the litter at Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Unfiltered. It's okay to have a game plan going in, but when you're so stubborn and unwilling to get away from it because the other team is essentially daring you to do so, then we get into stupidity. Unfiltered. Guess that's what really kind of infuriates me, that we go to the offseason after a game that the quarterback was really not given a chance to win the football game for you. That's a quarterback who's the face of the organization. That's a quarterback who, as I say, in a couple of years or in a year, they're going to give, I don't know, $25, $30 million a year to. And yet, it just feels to me like they took the ball out of his hands. Mitch is unfiltered. So... You're in London, huh? I am in London. I am in London, enjoying London, and enjoying it more more than you did on your iconic <laughs> visit 30 years ago. <laughs> okay, so I've seen a few did pictures. You? I've seen I've seen the changing of the guard. The guard wants to have a word with me. I saw that on Twitter yeah. at Jason D yeah. Hamilton, of course. I saw I saw Buckingham Palace from the car. Yep. And then I, mm-hmm. I saw kind of a weird video of a public address. I, I'm not sure that I really understood what you sent out. You were at some sort of a basketball game. Kind of pick up the story from there. What, what are you doing in London at a basketball game? Yeah, so I had to I, – people may or may not know that um, I, I have a different job besides just broadcasting University of Washington basketball – and I work in the insurance business. And so I'm over in the UK because I have meetings with um, Lloyd's of London um, here in the, in the UK. And so because I had to come over here for meetings that really started uh, on Sunday, I, I couldn't get to London um, if I would have left after the Colorado game on Saturday. It just wouldn't have been possible for me to get to the first meeting that I needed to be to. Be to. And uh, so I ended up leaving uh, on Friday. Do you have to give the ball back? No, no, no. The, 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 the 500 was legit 500. There's no asterisk there. That's a legit 500 there, tough guy. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, yeah. I uh, had a chance to see the sights and and do London and so I was able to go to former University of Washington Husky basketball player Matthew Brian Amining is he's a Brit and uh you know played for the University of Washington has played professionally all across the country or excuse me all across the world but is is playing for the first time in his home country um here in Britain in the British Basketball League so I sent out a video of the PA announcer he you know, you expect a PA announcer on a normal basketball game or sporting event to, you know, 
call the foul, who the foul was on, how many shots, things like that. Oh, no. Oh, no. This guy (laughs) is doing giveaway raffle announcements while the opposing team is shooting free throws and then breaks Uh, into a play-by-play. It's I've never seen anything like it. It was amazing. Well, you know why you've never seen anything like it? Why is that? Because you weren't around the Benjamin School in 1984 and 1985. Please tell me that you guys did not do that there over the loudspeaker. Well, people like stories. They they seem to like our patron episode from the other day. Yeah. So I guess I should say that... uh, uh, that in 1984, 1985, I had figured out by then that I wanted to go into broadcasting some way, some shape, some form. And um, I didn't play high school football. And so I went up to the, it's a small private school. I went up to the head coach who was also the athletic director at the time, Coach Reem. Okay. Coach Reem. And I said to Coach Reem, hey, I'd like to do the PA announcing for your football. We always had a very good football team for private schools, very competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, they never had a PA announcer. This is 1984, and I said, I'd like to do the, the PA announcing. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, okay, how do you suppose we do this? And I asked him to build me a little tower, like a, a walk-up tower, like you would see a film guy filming football practice, one yeah. of those little towers. Yeah. And so they built it for me. They built it for young little Mitch Levy to go up there. And we had a sound system. And I started, I was the first ever PA announcer. Well, you see, I was up there more concerned about doing the PA announcing than I really was the football games. And so I was doing everything. I was, you know, talking about the junior class and their raffles. I was talking about, no, it's a true story. And, and, And I was get I would get bad looks from I thought that they were just funny bad looks from the coach Coach Reem, like in between yeah. games, but our games were typically on Fridays, and yeah. uh, and we we had a game on Saturday, on Saturday, and I recall I had my buddy the same guy by the way who was ninth on the golf team that I beat out to uh, right. to be able to play in the one match that Jack Nicholas scolded me the same guy, yes he was my yeah. sp- he was my spotter he came up and he was my spotter. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was a Saturday. This no BS. It was a Saturday game, and I decided, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to give college football scores. I'm going to have Roger. Oh I'm going to have Roger feeding me college football scores. And so uh, I would be like, you know, pass complete, gain of five, second and five, in the third quarter. It's Georgia fourteen, Miami seven. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And uh, there were games, and I was just, I was almost, I was probably missing plays of our football game just so that I could announce scores of college football games around the country. And uh, yeah, I got called in to the coach's office. I was going to say, this could not have lasted. There's no way this lasted. I think it did last, but I was told it, in no uncertain terms, okay, if you want yeah. to do the football game... You want to do the PA announcing of our football game. That would be great. But you're doing so many scores and so much other stuff that I'm actually seeing like some of our players on the field listening to you rather than (laughs) concentrating on the football game. Oh. And that's where it all all started. That's where it all started. Yeah, I I, I, I created the PA announcing job of the Benjamin Buccaneers 
football team. And so when you when you gave when you sent out that video, the guy doing everything kind of but the basketball game, I yeah, was like, yeah. oh my god, wait till I tell him the story of 1984. <laughs> By the way, I have I gone I, I have gone too far. I have not done what I'm supposed to do. My my responsibility that you're supposed to kind of keep me in line about the whole subscribe, 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 and rate, 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 rate. Mm-hmm. I was in a meeting the other day with people that are trying to grow this Mitch Unfiltered podcast as opposed mm-hmm. to just kill it. I figured I'd be in a meeting to kill it before to grow it. And they're like, you know, yeah. we, we listen and you got to stop feeling guilty about asking people to subscribe, 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 and rate, rate, and rate. And mm-hmm. they even said, don't feel badly about asking people who have not listened to previous episodes to please go back and just for a few minutes to listen to all the episodes that they missed because that helps sustain the podcast and the numbers and that's what podcasts are all about. You ask your listeners to do what it takes for your podcast to be around for a while because these, these listeners want it to be around. They don't want it to go away and they're willing within reason to help out. And if help out means going to iTunes or Apple Music or subscribing or rating us, giving us a five star, or in this case, going back to episodes that they haven't had the time to check out and like episode number 13 or 12 or 11 and just clicking on it and listening. Don't be so walking on eggshells, they told me, to ask your listeners. This is what happens with podcasts. This is what all podcast hosts do. They tell them what they need them to do and the listeners who are in it for the long term will be happy to oblige with, with within reasons. Within reason. Mm, okay. So, okay. So there you, there you go. go. So so there it is. Yeah. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And rate us. Give us a five star because you don't want four. No. I'm all about the five. You're all about the five. And go back and even if we are sending these things out too fast and furious for you, if you've missed a few here, a three, a five, a six, an episode, they're all right there, wherever the library of podcasts that you go to if you wouldn't mind listening for a few minutes to the ones that you missed, it would do wonders for the uh, the sustainability of what we're trying to do and grow this product. Some of the things, so you're in London going to a basketball game, you're going to Buckingham Palace, you're going to meetings, you're getting up early in the morning to go to Lloyd's, to meet with Lloyd's. Are you going to, by the way, insure my nose? Can you find out how much I need uh, to pay up? I'd like to insure the schnoz. Should have done it years ago. That's, that, yeah, that's that's high risk. You have to pay a lot in premium for that. <laughs> I shouldn't have to pay any more than Lamar- Lamarcus Aldridge. Uh, yeah, you've you've made mention about that. You and Lamarcus are over there doing a battle for the schnoz. <laughs> have you been able to see? Were you able to see any of the football games this weekend? You know, not a ton to be honest. I saw I saw the um, the middle portion, the, the third quarter of the Colts Chiefs. Yeah. And I saw just a little bit, little, little bit of the uh, Saints-Eagles. Obviously know the scores, know that uh, the Rams and Saints have moved on and the Patriots and, and Chiefs and, you know, all the all the favorites, right? Yep, all the teams. We made such a big deal out of all the wild card teams last week and which one of them, I remember asking Locke and Four or one of the guys, maybe Peter King, which one of these teams – could win a few rounds and what's going to happen, yada, yada, yada. And then when it's all said and done, something that all of us have known for a long time, especially as it relates to the Seahawks, right? You got to have the bye, 
and you got to have the home field. All four teams with the buys and the home fields advance, and you've got two rematches of games that were played earlier this year. One was a great game, and one was a terrible game. The New England-Kansas City game was in Foxborough on a Sunday night, as I recall. New England beat Kansas City, but in a very competitive and very interesting, I think, mm-hmm. high-scoring game. And then the the Rams play the Saints, although, no, no, the Rams-Saints wasn't a bad game. The Rams were down a couple of scores to the Saints in New Orleans. The Rams were undefeated at the time, if you recall. And then the Rams scored a couple of late uh, late scores to, to make it a game, but the Saints ended up winning and so you got rematch of those two games. It sucks, Jason, to be Alshon Jeffrey today and tomorrow oh. and the next day. Man, Did I you mean, you're driving. You're looking good. I saw the highlight of that. I didn't see it live. I saw the highlight of that this morning here, and just a, I mean, right between the hands. That is, that's tough. I yeah. mean, the Bears kicker was one thing. Alshon Jeffrey is another thing. That's a terrible way to end the season. Yeah. It's terrible for a guy like that who's been such a good receiver and such a a real, real kind of consistent receiver of the football. Great hands for a mm-hmm. long time to have the ball go through his hands. That sucks to be him, but I guess it's great to be the New Orleans Saints, and so it's going to be the Saints and the Rams, and the Saints are going to be a, a small favorite, and the Chiefs and the Patriots, and the Chiefs are going to be a small favorite, and we'll see how it goes. We'll get all the gambling aspects of this game, these games with our guy from uh, Central America. Uh, did you see what your boy James Harden did? You probably haven't seen or heard that one yet. I have not, no. So he tied Kobe Bryant for consecutive 30-point games. I think it's 16 straight, if I'm not mistaken. 16 okay. straight 30-point games tied Kobe Bryant. But in the game... The game that he ties the record, he goes for 38. Would you like to try to guess? Why don't you try to guess? And I don't have the belt because it's over in your seat, next to your seat. But why don't you try mm-hmm. to guess what James Harden was from three-point land in the game that he scored 38 to tie the record of 16 consecutive 30-point games? Uh, six of ten. A little worse. Okay, then I'm going to go three – for 19 a little worse (laughs) one for 22 he was one for 17 one for 17 from three point and had 38 and had 38 to tie the record and probably had 20 free throws uh i don't have the box score in front of me but he uh he scored 38 16 consecutive and then there's your your dogs who in your absence so how many games have you missed over the course of time how many games well, I think this was my – of games that I was officially scheduled to be at, this is my second in 17 years. Okay. And how have they done? Did they win the first one? Because they won the one without you this time around. How they do? I, I actually – I think the first one was an Oregon State game, and I believe they won that one as well. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Let's start it right now. Yeah. They're 2-0. and Well, <laughs> listen, I could stay in London and see if they just run this streak out if you'd like. Well, they're three and zero, Jason, and they've got and they've got two games this week at home against Stanford and Cal. You're going to be back. Very for the, winnable. You're going to be back for both those games. Yes, I will. How about they win those two at home and get to five and zero, and then things start looking like well, maybe. Yeah, I mean, 
not to jump jump a week, but certainly if you can get those two, then it gets interesting because Oregon State has suddenly appeared to be somewhat of a of a bit of a roadblock um, that I don't think people anticipated, having beaten Oregon already and then beating the LAs. I mean, um, that's going to be interesting. And then you don't know what the the Oregon Ducks, who they are and what they're going to be. They've they've obviously been decimated. But it it's a favorable schedule for the Washington Huskies if they continue to play at the level that they're playing. And, you know, right now they're basically doing it with Noah Dickerson not being the primary scorer. David Crisp has suddenly come alive here in in Pac-12 play. Three really, really good games in a row. Jalen Noel, monster effort in the second half against Colorado and, you know, getting a lot of contributions across the board now. And they, you know, from, from what I saw um, in the box scores and the write-ups in the Colorado game, but also from what I saw in person in Utah, you know, I, I think guys are starting to figure out their role. Nas Carter is is become yeah. a player and yeah. and really efficient, and Hamir Wright giving them some minutes, and even Sam Tennant. So, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting. And I, I think I saw Seth Davis put him put the Huskies in in his top twenty-five. They have him at twenty-four. Uh, entering this week in his deal. So, you know, Washington's starting to make a little noise. So we're going to get the answer from the the chief bracketologist, the number one bracketologist in the country, of whether they would be in as of today or this morning, as the case is in London. But mm. the, the thing that I like is you, when you were throwing 14-4 and four around weeks and weeks ago, I remember you, you were the first person to say, you know, it may take 14-4 and four out of those 18 games. I was like... You know, even though the Pac-12 sucks and you can probably win any game, just the, the just the words fourteen and four in any conference really kind of make you hesitate, right? It's 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 daunting. Sure. That's a daunting number. Sure. But then, all of a sudden, you're two wins away this week at home. Now, I don't want to give them these two because Stanford probably will be a a tough game. I would imagine they'll beat California. But if you get to two and zero this week and you get to five and zero in the conference. Well now, nine and four is fourteen and four, and I got it news for you. It, this is it's not going to take a Harvard grad to come up with this one. Nine and four is a lot less intimidating than fourteen and four. When right. you when you start when you right. start talking about nine and four, I might be able to dance with you. No pun intended. Yeah. On on nine and four over the last thirteen games for the for the dogs. And then you think about the fact that you've got you know, who you've got coming into your building and the fact that they have not lost at home this year. And there's a ton of, a ton of things to throw into that pot. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's full steam ahead right now for Washington in the way that they're playing and, and the path that's, that's really set in front of them. So yeah, you hate to say this early in the season, um, because of the fact that the, the national reputation is so down, but, the fact that their their path is lit and they control their own destiny, uh, you know, this early in the in the Pac-12 season, it's it's funny to say that, but boy, it, it looks that way if Washington's able to to kind of take care of business and 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 do what we think they can do. Episode number fourteen, we're going to get the answer from the number one bracketologist in America in a couple segments. Number one in America as rated by a website that looks at every one of these 127 guys. They've said this is the best guy, the most accurate assessment over the last five years. He's on episode 14. He's the author of something called Bracketville, and he's going to tell us today, this morning, now, 
at three and zero. If the if the season ended today, which it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about, if the if the committee got into that Indianapolis hotel room today, would Washington be in the tournament? And so we'll get him to stick his neck out on that. Also, what an off season coming for John Schneider and the Seahawks. They got to deal with Frank Clark. They got to deal with Sweezy and Fluker. They've got Russell Wilson a year from becoming a free agent or becoming uh, the the opportunity of becoming a free agent. They've got to deal with with uh, Bobby Wagner, who's approaching in the next year or so free agency. Joel Corey, the former NFL players agent, is going to tell us about how he thinks those negotiations and those salary cap hits are going to go and we're going to get a gambling perspective from somewhere somewhere deep in the heart of Central America. That's where these websites originate from. Uh, it's not legal in the state of Washington to to wager online, but betonline.ag is one of these very successful 20-year-old sites and we're going to get somebody who creates the odds and the lines for that website to tell us about the weekend that was, the weekend that will be the Super Bowl, and even non-sports wagers on episode number 14. I'm craving a chopped salad and two or three slices of a chicken club pizza at Zeke's Pizza. Chicken, bacon, spinach, tomato, red onion, delicious. Zeke's is the Northwest homegrown pizza company founded in Queen Anne in 1993. Celebrates the adventurous spirit and the natural affinity for craftsmanship that makes the Northwest truly great and classic. What is Northwest style pizza? Well, dough with a sourdough bite. Toppings are full throttle on flavor, creative and different without ever losing respect for the classics. The attention to detail is noticeable. Zeke's dough is made every morning in its kitchen on Finney Ridge, delivered fresh daily to each of its 14 Puget Sound locations. Every pizza is hand-tossed when you order it. If you want a place to watch the AFC or the NFC Championship games with fabulous pizza and craft beer or two, it's an easy call. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. I've been waiting for this next guest to join us on the uh, on the Mitch Unfiltered podcast for a while. We've got lots to talk about uh, with former agent Joel Corey. If you don't know who Joel is. He's, a, as I said, a former player agent and now a salary expert and writer for CBS and others. Uh, I loved your contract awards. you got to follow him both on Twitter and on his, his, his work on CBS. Love the contract awards, Joel. Thanks for being on. Sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, tell everybody who was the best contract and the worst contract in the NFL in 2018. Well, uh, I said my most valuable acquisition was Khalil Mack. You make the guy the highest paid non-quarterback, and he's living up to his $23.5 million per year contract with $90 million of overall guarantees because he took what was a good defense, turned into arguably the league's best, and also uh, helped really jumpstart that team's um, road to a playoff berth. So it was uh, Khalil Mack, uh, yeah. least valuable acquisition, Sam Bradford, um, basically made $16 million uh, to play three games before getting cut. Worst contract extension for a team went to Blake Bortles. Never made sense to me why they wanted to go all in on a mediocre quarterback, and it really backfired on him this year. 
Joe Corey is the voice, uh, former player agent, and now a, a writer on the salary cap, and amongst other things with CBS and, and other places. Um, I obviously want to get to the Hawks, Russell Wilson, and some of their free agent and offseason matters now that we're into the offseason, unfortunately. Uh, but before I do, Joel, let's get your thoughts on a couple of league-wide interesting stories. Uh, let's start with Antonio Brown. Everybody knows by now the problems between the Steelers and Brown and the way he handled those problems. Do you see him, A, being traded? And if he does get traded, speak to us from the acquisition team standpoint. What do they have to give up in compensation? What are they getting back in baggage? And what, in terms of salary cap ramification, does Brown have for the acquiring team, Joel? Well, since they haven't ruled it out and he may have gotten to the point where he's more trouble than he's worth in Pittsburgh, even though he's still a top five receiver. It wouldn't be surprising to me if he was moved uh, before the fifth day of the league year, which would be March 17th, because he has a $2.5 million roster bonus due then. The problem is Pittsburgh has a habit of restructuring contracts each year. So they've added to the dead money by creating more signing bonus proration last year in a restructure. His cap number is $22.165 million. But given the timing of a trade, there's going to be over $21 million in dead money. So the other part of the equation is the Ben Roethlisberger uh, expected extension. And you could create, depending upon the signing bonus, maybe $8 million, $10 million of cap room, which the Steelers would really need if they wanted to move Antonio Brown, um, given that uh, Marty Cooper for a first round pick. You got to think that a guy that's been as productive as Antonio Brown, even though he's in his early 30s, uh, would garner at least a first round pick, if I remember correctly. Um, you guys gave up, what, a first, third, and a seventh for uh, Percy Harvin? Yeah. Yep. Maybe that's more the, maybe that's more the uh, right territory because you're getting a guy um, who hasn't showed any signs of slowing down. And. It's a little over $15 million for 2019 and a shade over 11 and 20 and 12 and a half and 21. If he's going to continue to perform at the highest level, that's a pretty good bargain salary-wise. And you also would have to think that if a change of scenery, he would be on his best behavior at least in 2019. How about Le'Veon Bell, Joel? I can't imagine they're going to go with the whole, let's stick a uh, designation on him again. I think now that they know that they have uh, James Conner as their back and then the guy replaced them, I think Samuels looked all right, that you can move on, just take your third-round compensatory pick in 2020 and be done with it. To me, the interesting thing is in order for him just to break even from the offer he turned down, and that's how you really have to look at it, that offer had a reportedly like $47 million over three years, first three years. Since he sat out this year, he's going to have to sign a contract which pays him $47 million over the first two years, in uh. order just to be in a break-even point, uh. I don't see that happening. I suspect it's probably going to be more in the Todd Gurley range. He's, there's going to be a lot more guaranteed money than anything Pittsburgh was going to offer him. But maybe it's $15 million per year. Um, I know he wants to go to Indy, uh, but Marlon Mack looked pretty good against the Texans, so maybe it's the uh, Jets who are going to have a ton of cap room or Tampa. 
Do we question how much the guy wants to play football? Yeah, I guess that's a fair thing to question because I don't. I heard that it wasn't agent driven. The uh, holdout or the uh, refusal to play, kind of like the Cam Chancellor holdout a couple of years ago, was not agent driven. Because um, no agent's going to tell a running back to turn down fourteen and a half million in his prime, a peak earning year for the off chance you'll have career longevity when the. Sh- Contracts of uh, running backs seem to decline precipitously in the early 30s. That was basically a crazy decision on my part, in my opinion. So, yeah, that's a fair fair, uh, point to make. Does he really want to play football? We're moving our way through the NFL with Joel Corey, a former player agent and now writes for CBS and kind of follows the salary cap and, and all the happenings around the salary cap as well as anybody. You really should follow him on Twitter and read his work. Um, as I work my way to the Seahawks, a couple of other NFL interesting uh, topics, at least for me, the teams this offseason, Joel, that you think have a chance to really have some money to spend and have a chance with what they've built to take that next step, I'm assuming you're going to start with the Indianapolis Colts, who obviously won a game in the postseason and, and now... Uh, have a lot of money to spend, and they've gotten their quarterback back on track health-wise. It just looks like the sky's the limit for the Colts if they oh, do the that, right that things. One, that one sticks out like a sore thumb uh-huh. because they're going to have $120 million of cap room. They've had the lowest spending over the past two years. There's the four-year spending uh, period, 2017 through 20. So they're going to be forced to spend money. So they basically have like a blank canvas. Uh, as long as Chris Ballard doesn't do one of the things that his predecessor, Ryan Grigson, did, which is go out and sign a bunch of old guys, they're going to be all right. Um, do they want to go out and get a high-priced running back, Le'Veon Bell, who wants to go there? Are they comfortable with Marlon Mack? They really need another playmaker on offense to go along uh, with T.Y. Hilton. Um, then defensively, I would focus there. Uh, all the good pass rushers most likely are at least the ones in their prime or maybe franchised. So maybe a Brandon Graham or someone like that, because Frank Wright uh, has that Philly connection. Um, a guy puts a lot of pressure on quarterbacks and necessarily gets sacks and then kind of shore up to secondary. That one sticks out like a sore thumb to me. And so I'm interesting to see what they do in terms of trying to make the next step. We know the Jets swung for the fences and struck out last year. Khalil Mack tried to trade for him, tried to sign Kirk Cousins. So maybe that's the Le'Veon Bell um, landing spot. Yeah. How about the Seahawks? For the first time in a long time, I think you're going to tell us, Joel, for Seahawks fans, uh, John Schneider's got some money to play with. Uh, I think uh, Greg Bell of the Tacoma News Tribune reported something like 60-some-odd million um, under the cap, which gives them like something around the ninth most money to spend at this point during the off season. Uh, what do you think the 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 potential is for the Seahawks to spend some money wisely and take the next step forward? Well, that amount's a little misleading because you only have thirty five players under contract right now, and the top fifty one cap numbers count. So you're really going to be roughly in the fifty million dollar range once you have a full complement of players. But that's still plenty of room to work with, and then. I would say subtract out seventeen, seventeen and a half million of that for a franchise tag for Frank Clark, so your workable space goes down. But one place you could get a lot of cap space from is Russell Wilson. 
because um, he's got a cap number slightly over $25 million entering his contract year. Um, it seems like an extension is on the agenda. The question is, how much does Seattle want to pay a guy who's going to have all the leverage if he plays out his contract? Uh-huh. Because to put a franchise tag on him, at least from a non-exclusive basis, is going to be a little over $30.3 million. Usually you go exclusive for quarterbacks, so he can't negotiate or sign an offer sheet with anyone. Right. Right now that projects to write about $31 million. Then you're going to have to prevent him from playing the Kirk Cousins game two years in a row, uh, then hitting the open market. He could make $68 million going year to year. So what do you have to pay Russell Wilson to take that out of the equation? I think he's going to be the first $35 million per year player in the league, and it's going to be a blockbuster contract if you want to keep him long-term. How much of a ball buster do you think it's going to be, and how much of a factor is it that he's represented, Joel, by baseball agents for the most part, who are used to dealing with guys without salary caps? The interesting thing is, before he signed his extension, NFL agents were worried that the baseball agent was going to misgauge the market and make a mistake. Now the concern is on the uh, the other foot. <laughs> Baseball agents are more comfortable taking players to market. They're used to guaranteed contracts. So if he's bringing those baseball elements to football, then you're going to be more than the $98.2 million in overall guarantees. I mean the $98.2 million that um, Matt, Matt Ryan has fully guaranteed. You're going to be well over $100 million in overall guarantees to get a deal done if those elements creep into the equation. Should Seahawks fans be sitting back and saying, oh, Russell Wilson's not going anywhere. The Seahawks won't let him go anywhere, obviously. And he doesn't want to play anywhere else. He wants to stay here. So he'll give he'll give Seattle the hometown discount. Is that a dangerous <laughs> – <laughs> oh, I think uh, I got how old, how, old is, how old is Russell Wilson? <laughs> he, he signed one big deal. There's only one guy who does that consistently, Tom Brady. I know Russell Wilson's got a famous wife, uh, but as far as I know, Sierra doesn't make $40 million a year like Giselle Bunchen has made. Uh-huh. So that's not a variable. Usually if you're going to do that, uh, take a hometown discount. It's like Breeze. Drew Breeze didn't do it until he was 39. You didn't see Philip Rivers, Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger do it in their mid-30s when they signed their uh, third contract. And you didn't see Aaron Rodgers do it, who's in his mid-30s, this past offseason or preseason when he became the highest-paid player in the league at $33.5 million per year. Russell Wilson taking a discount right now is wishful thinking. It, it, is, it doesn't take a genius to figure out, okay, franchise tag, two years, $68 million. Seattle's got the problem. They've got to put an offer on the table to take him out of – going in the Kirk Cousins mindset. What's the That's number? That's going to be very expensive. What's the number, I think Joel? at a minimum you got to go $35 million per year. Your guarantees are going to be well over 100 okay. uh, to do that. All right. And so once you do that, I think the appropriate next conversation to have with Joel Corey is the whole notion of spending that much on any one player, including quarterback position. I mean, it's been well circulated, right, Joel? The top Six highest-paid quarterbacks in the NFL in 2018. None of them made the playoffs, right? I think I have that right. 
And, yeah, that, that, that's right. Okay, that's right, so average salary, none okay. of them made it. None of them made it. So, mm-hmm. how concerned should Seahawks fans be to hear Joel say, "Oh, you're going to have to guarantee this guy thirty, thirty-five million dollars a year"? Then, how does John Schneider build the rest of the roster within within the cap constraints and put together a Super Bowl quality team? Well, you are at least a year ahead of schedule because I don't think there are a whole lot of people outside of Seattle thinking you had a playoff team. So you already went through the hardest part in retooling the roster, not going through a rebuild and looking pretty good on a go-forward basis. So they've been able to replenish the roster by doing a very good job of identifying cheap talent. you got to keep doing that. that. That's one thing, that if you can't keep identifying cheap talent, then it's going to be very tough. The good thing is that the teams which have the low-priced quarterbacks right now they're going to soon be in the same boat that um, Seattle will be in with a high, higher-priced Russell Wilson. Jared Goff is going to command a huge salary, and will be eligible for. He's actually eligible for an extension right now. At some point, Philadelphia is going to pay Carson Wentz a lot of money. Um, that's another guy. Patrick Mahomes will be eligible for a contract extension after the 2019 regular season. He's going to command a boatload of money. So. You do the deal for Russell Wilson now, it's going to get surpassed anyway down the road, and they're going to be these other teams which look like contenders. They're going to be in that same boat as well. So the playing field is going to be somewhat leveled okay. because those teams' window to build and amass talent with a cheap quarterback is going to disappear. I've gotten a few more for you. The terrific Joel Corey, former player agent, now salary cap and writer for CBS and other sources. You can also follow him on his Twitter at uh, Corey Joel, uh, you mentioned Frank Clark. Now, you said something that kind of doesn't sit well with me. You talked about the franchise tag with Clark. There's no question that anybody who's ever looked at these types of things for half a second know that you're much better off somehow signing him to a long-term deal, giving him his bonus money, and keeping the per-year salary cap hit to at least somewhat reasonable number. Are you suggesting by telling us that they're going to franchise him that you don't think they can get a deal done, a long-term deal done with uh, Frank Clark during the offseason? No, I'm just saying that that's going to be a placeholder to make sure you have him around for 2019. Because whichever team doesn't put a franchise tag on a good young pass rusher, whether it's Houston with Javion Clowney, it's Kansas City with D Ford, if Dallas for some reason doesn't want to franchise Demarcus Lawrence for a second year, you're going to get someone who's going to get in that Aaron Donald, Khalil Mack territory if they hit the open market because outside of quarterbacks getting paid a premium, the guy who chases the quarterback gets paid a premium. So you need to preserve yourself the ability to keep him for 2019 by designating him as a franchise player. That's all I meant by that. So what's the number? What's the number that you can get Frank Clark? I mean, he knows what you just said. He knows. I'm not a quarterback, but I'm a guy who chases the quarterback, and boy, I can get a lot of money if I hold out here and, and make him franchise me a couple of years and then go sign a monster contract. What's the number that gets a player that young and that talented uh, willing to, to extend long-term and not hit free agency? Well, the problem is I think you're going to see all these guys who are franchised probably acting like you, you used to at a junior high dance, that nobody wanted to be the first couple to get on the dance floor, and once someone did, other people will follow because the deal that goes first, 
that's going to be the one that gets surpassed by the other ones. And I right. think the one that goes last gets the most money. So you're probably going to be in that $20 million per year neighborhood. So oh, uh, you don't have a lot of teams that have the high-priced quarterback and the high-priced non-quarterback. That's another potential headache as well for Seattle. But that's uh, where you're probably going to be headed when a guy has 14 sacks um, in a contract year. And, and his agent uh, knows what he has from some comments I read during the year. So any designs or thoughts of getting something in the Hunter range, the kid from Minnesota, $14 million a year, that was never going to fly. How about markets for Sweezy and Fluker? It's uh, been well chronicled here that the Seahawks are ahead of the schedule, as you as you pointed out, a year ahead, because they were able to reinvent their offensive line with a new offensive line coach and a couple of kind of veteran free agents. I don't know that the line was very long for Fluker and Sweezy a year ago. Now uh, they've played their one year in Seattle, and the Seahawks and Pete Carroll have expressed on the record they'd like to have both of them back. Do you see it being a difficult thing for Schneider to do or a reasonable thing? for the Seahawks to do? That's going to depend on the expectations of the agents. If the agents think those guys have now transformed themselves into the Roger Saffold-type potential market, then it's probably best for them to hopefully get a uh, reality check out on the open market, even though it only takes one team to do something crazy, and that throws a monkey wrench in any type of equation. I try to negotiate with them sooner rather than later, and have some sort of informal understanding that will keep lines of communication open if we can't reach some sort of agreement, and try to get a, an informal right to match any offer. Now, the more interesting thing to me than those two guys is your best defensive player will also be in a contract year, Bobby Wagner. Uh-huh. So I would be looking to do an extension with him as well, you did Russell and Bobby pretty much in the same time frame last time. He's only gotten better. Pete Carroll says he's on a Hall of Fame career trajectory, so he's going to have to be the highest-paid non-pass rushing linebacker based on that. So that's going to be another expensive one. And if I'm him, I'm looking at, okay, my deal average is $10.75 million per year. I did in 2015. Right. Um, Worst-case scenario – for, in, his, in his mind, should be you adjust that to the current cap environment, that's going to get you to over $14 million per year. But really, I would be looking to adjust the Luke Keekley deal, uh, which was done um, shortly after his, to because uh, those, those two guys are only two you mentioned the same breath in terms of inside linebackers, coverage guys, um, 1A and 1B. I prefer Wagner to Keekley. But that deal, if you uh, extrapolate it out, is over $16 million a year. Oh so that's not going to be a cheap one either. Oh, boy. You're eating up a lot of the salary. I was just excited about five minutes ago about the salary cap room, and now you're, you're really uh, you're chewing it up on me, Joel. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah, but Russell and Bobby are self-contained. They'll create their own cap room. Russell's cap number is $25 million, so at least for that's 2019, right. you'll get cap room. And Wagner's is fourteen one, so you'll get cap room out of that. And then the thing is – between Clark, uh, Wagner, and Wilson, you got to get at least one done long term. Even though 2020 is the last year of the collective bargaining agreement, and you have an additional designation, you can go two transition tags or one franchise in one transition in 2020. You got to get at least one done. But with Wagner, 
either whether you go franchise or transition, you're talking almost $17 million. Two last questions for you, Joel, and then I'll let you go and, and tell you how much I appreciate you one more time. Earl Thomas, I spoke to a member of the Dallas Cowboys media. He, he thinks the Cowboys have moved on. He thinks that their attraction to Earl is uh, over and done with. What's going to happen to Earl Thomas, and what kind of contract is he going to get in this another year that he's coming off of an injury? Well, part of the problem is Dallas has so many other things they have to take care of. Demarcus Lawrence, they're probably going to do Dak. And Amari Cooper, they didn't trade him for him to only be a short-term rental. Uh, Maybe Kansas City that had some interest in him um, reportedly uh, before the uh, injury. Eric Berry may be done. He could seamlessly fit right in there. I don't think the injury is going to affect him at all. I know it's his second broken leg, but he was playing at a defensive player of the year level before he got hurt. For a long time, his three interceptions were still right up there among the league leaders. About midway during the season, nobody really jumped past him um, too far. So maybe it's Kansas City. You saw last year Allen Robinson torn ACL, even though a younger guy didn't affect his marketplace. Two years ago, Matt Khalil, who'd been regressing, uh, only played a couple of games, had hip surgery. Then he signs for $11, $12 million a year with $25 million fully guaranteed at signing in Carolina. So I think when it's all said and done, Earl Thomas, I don't know where, uh, he's going to be one of the highest paid safeties in the league, if not the highest. And then my final question is, who's the most interesting player to watch during the offseason that you think will be exposed to free agency that somebody won't? franchise who's the big the big money player whether it's a maybe not a quarterback but maybe it's a pass rusher like you talked about what's the what's the name of the player that interests Joel Corey the most this offseason Brandon Graham because he's a pass rusher over 30 they're not going to uh, put a franchise tag on him plus they have so many cap problems that's that's one I'd keep an eye on does he get above Everson Griffin's 14 and a half million per year and also Nick Foles because Foles is someone that should find a starting job if he wants one um I don't know how Philadelphia can really keep him unless he's willing to be a highly paid backup and doesn't prefer that over being a starter for a mediocre team but how high do you go for Nick Foles because there's a reason why because I still remember what he did with the Rams and that wasn't pretty (laughs) I remember Kansas City that wasn't pretty the beginning of the year wasn't pretty. Uh-huh. Granted, he's been great for two postseasons. Um, how high do you go for Nick Foles? That's what I'm interested in saying. You think the Dolphins should trade for John Harbaugh? Not if you have to give up John Gruden-type compensation to get him. <laughs> I mean, John Gruden when he went from yes, uh, Oakland to the Tampa. Raiders to Tampa. Yeah. 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 Great stuff, Joel. Very, very informative. And uh, what you do on your Twitter and in your uh, work, your articles, is just terrific. Uh, it's 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 informative. It's very easy to understand. You make it simple for the the common NFL fan to to be able to grasp all this. And I I really appreciate your work and appreciate you coming on the podcast for the first time. I hope we can call upon you again. Thank you so oh, much. No problem. Thanks Great. for having me. Happy New Year, Joel. Happy New Year. There he is, Joel Corey, former player agent and a contributor to CBSSports.com, salary cap expert laughing in kind of a sinister way when I would suggest that uh, Russell Wilson would give the Seattle Seahawks a hometown 
discount. The brand new Daniels Broiler is at the Hyatt Regency, and what a special place from the artwork to the flooring to the finishings. I can't wait to get back. I was there a few weeks ago for lunch. It's a new downtown Seattle Daniels, which is open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. That's right, breakfast at Daniels. Lunch and dinner, seven days a week. If you live or work downtown and planning an evening downtown or just visiting Seattle, you have a world-class choice for prime steaks and seafood. By the way, it's just down the block from the Paramount Theater on 8th and Howell, and I'm definitely having my next pre-show dinner at Daniel's. It's locally owned by the Schwartz family and located at South Lake Union, Leshy Marina, Bellevue Place, and now the new downtown Hyatt Regency, which is now your fourth location of Daniel's Broiler. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. As the NFL playoffs continue to take center stage, we'll go off to the right here or go off to the left and talk about my favorite subject in the world. We're already how many how many weeks away, bracket guy Dave? I'm going to introduce you guys to the number one, by the way, the number one bracketologist, if that's such a word, in the nation. I'll explain how we figure that out. But Dave is with us. Dave Amon is with us from Indiana. He does it like everybody else does it, the Lenardis and everybody else. How many weeks do we have until Selection Sunday? Have you figured that out, Dave? See, you're going to put me on the spot. Uh, I know it's in the middle of March, so I'm thinking we're about 10 weeks away at this point. All right, 10 weeks away. We're going to track the Pac-12 teams out here in Seattle. Of course, our beloved University of Washington. Of course, Gonzaga will be in the field, just a matter of where they'll be, how highly seated they'll be. But first, let's introduce you to Bracket Guy Dave. And we call Dave Amon Bracket Guy Dave because that's his Twitter handle. There's a there's a resource, Dave, called uh, Bracket Matrix who takes 127 of you guys, including the, the, the really popular, famous ones like Lenardi, and they rank you guys based on how well you do in your projections of the at-large teams and the seedings. And what I have noticed is they say for anybody who has been in the game for five years, there's nobody who does it better than Bracketville at bracketville.wordpress.com. That's a pretty that's a pretty distinguished honor to be number one of 127. Well, thank you, first of all. It's uh, been a fun ride, and as I have told people, you know, before, it's been fortunate that things have, you know, worked out some years that uh, scores have been pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there's a lot of excellent people, and that's what's been, you know, Mitch, a lot of fun about doing this is interacting with fellow people either that you meet through um, the Twitter or some other things that you have opportunities to do in, in conversing with them. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of a stress reliever for me. It's something fun I enjoy doing. And so it's uh, it's always a good time, and we start gearing up for real now. As you mentioned, college football is over. Yep. The new year is here. Yep. The rest of the world is starting to think, you know, the next big thing coming up is that March Madness stuff. So maybe even if I'm a really casual college basketball fan, I kind of start 
taking a peek behind that curtain and seeing what might be there. The voice of Dave Amon, he is the number one of the of the groups that have been in this thing for five years or more, the number one ranked bracketologist of the 127 different bracketologists that are ranked on bracketmatrix.com. His group is bracketville.wordpress.com, bracketville.wordpress.com, and you can follow him on Twitter as I do at bracket. Guy Dave, before we get into what everybody wants to know, and that's the heartbreak of the Pac-12 in Washington and some of the national figures on the scene on this day, um, what's your process and how does your process uh, differ from maybe some of the ones, some of the more popular ones that we see on TV and we read in print? Well, I don't know that, you know, my process itself is really any different. You're evaluating, you know, teams, um, you know, from where they are and then results and, and how that plays into what their overall resume from things versus the various ratings that they have to their strength of schedules, who did you play, where did you play, who did you beat, who did you lose to. Um, and then there's a lot of great resources out there today for people to access, and so they have a much better feel themselves for what that information is. From a, you know, a week-to-week basis for me, you know, it starts way back before the season does when you put together an initial seed list um, and then your preseason bracket, and then it, it kind of goes from there. Mm-hmm. So I track results every day, and this my internal seed list that I keep gets updated about every two days. Okay. Um, and then, obviously, as the season goes along, I update it more on the website much more often. And that's kind of how the process works for me. And then when you put the bracket together, you just kind of go through it like the committee does in terms of sliding people off the seed list in there. Okay, so how often do we get to see, now that we are in uh, in mid-January, do we get to see bracketville.wordpress.com update Dave Amon, update his, his bracket field? Well, you know, right now I kind of started, it's about once a week, although I'm considering adding a second day. But once we get to February, it goes two days a week. Okay. And once we get towards first part of March, um, you know, as we get into close to championship week, it becomes about every couple of days. And then finally about every day the last, um, you know, three to four days leading up to Selection Sunday. How many uh, at-larges are there now? 36? Do I have that number right? 37? Yes, it would be 36 at-large. Okay. Bits. How many did you get right? The last few years. Do you remember your numbers? I believe there were two years in a row. I'd have to go back to be honest with you to, to verify for sure. Last year, I missed one. A couple years before that, I had all of the at-larges correct. Good. Good. Um, so a lot of years, I, I don't know that I've ever missed more than two in any of the years I've been doing it. But I think that um, a lot of years, it's it's one. And this is what I always try to explain to people. If it were my bracket, it would be very easy. But the task here is not to give you my bracket. Right. The task is try to predict what they're going to do. What I think the committee is going to do. Okay. Yeah. That's what um, and so do. that's really where the, if you want to call it the challenge or the fun of it is, is to put yourself in a position of being a, either if you have a small group that does it or if you do it yourself, you're kind of a committee, and I'm going to try to follow their rules and their guidelines, and I'm going to see 
how I stack up with what they actually come up with. No offense, Dave. Nobody wants to know what you would do. We only want to know what the other guys are going to do. <laughs> I hope you don't take offense to that. No, because you know what? I'm the same way. Nobody wants. Nobody really cares what Dave brackets look like. They want to just know how close can I get to what the other might look like. All right. So it's the voice of uh, the guy that has been identified as the number one. Number. How many years are you doing it? When did you start, Dave? Bracketville.wordpress, as you mentioned, or the Bracketville online site. Um, Went live, um, and I have to think back now, um, I believe in November of 2008. Okay. So I've been on with that for this um 10 or 11 years. For about 10 years. Yeah. Yep, for about yeah. 11 years yeah. now um, online. Yeah. Um, prior to that, I kind of was doing it on my own and for some other college basketball fans just to see how I would do years before that. And in there, just in kind of talking with them, they said, you know, you ought to, post that somewhere and, and whatever. And so that's kind of how we evolved to to where we are today, I suppose. Great, great. Uh, and where they are today is you're, you're listening to Dave Amon, who is number one ranked of those that have been in the game for five or more years of 127 bracketologists ranked on the Bracket Matrix website. We are listening to uh, numero uno. So let's get into it. Everybody's uh, yelling at their podcasts, players yelling, okay, enough about Dave, Mitch. Enough about Dave. We don't want to know about Dave anymore. We want to know about the Washington Huskies and the Pac-12. Is it as dire as everyone wants to paint it out to be in our last episode? Jeff Goodman came on, Dave, and said, you'd better be number one or number two in that conference, and you better win 14 games out of 18 regular season games, and then you better go into the conference tournament in Vegas and do well there. Why don't you just speak to the University of Washington's profile after they dispatched of Colorado and Utah on the road to start their conference season at 3-0? and You pick up the story from there, Dave. All right, well, if we take a peek into Washington's what the committee might refer to as a team sheet or their profile, they're in a position... Um, in my opinion, um, to be in that at-large conversation. Now, you know, the net has them at about 38. Is, th- um, is 38 a good number, Dave? Is that a strong number? I mean, it certainly puts you in that. It certainly puts you in the what would be, I would say, a, a position, a strong position to be considered for an at-large bid. Now, where that goes is, obviously, then when you pull the sheet up and you start looking at, well, who did you play? Where did you play, and who have you beaten? And if you look at Washington's strength of schedule, for example, in the non-conference, you know, it's a top-20 schedule, so that's a good thing. Um, Where they lack and why some people will say the Pac-12 is particularly behind, and in some cases rightfully so, is that the vast majority of the Pac-12 teams did not perform well against other power schools outside the conference and they even lost to some non-power schools. So what that does is it kind of drags the overall net of the conference down, and so there's just not the same opportunity for, quote, quality wins that you might typically find in what would be one of the power conferences. Well, in Washington's case, their group one opponents, as of the time that we're, that we're talking here, were Gonzaga, Virginia Tech, Auburn, and Minnesota, and they didn't win any of those games, so That's they're correct. 0-4 against that Group 1. Right. Now, their next, there are 3-0 against Group 2, which right now includes teams like Texas A&M, Colorado,
Colorado and Utah. But this is where sort of that rubber hits the road. If you start looking at it, tell me a team that Washington has beaten that would be an at-large team in the NCAA tournament if it started today. Zero. And that's where, when you talk to like Jeff Goodman and some other people, they're going to point and you start looking at some of the resumes outside the conference of Pac-12 schools, and that's where it starts getting a little bit tricky for them to be able to um, say, we're going to have a real good chance to have some at-large teams. As of today, as we're recording this, they are 3-0 and with wins over Utah and Colorado and Washington State. They're off to a 3-0. and Now, everybody wants them to win the conference, maybe even win the automatic bid by winning the tournament. But where do they sit vis-a-vis the other at-large possibilities right now? Where do they sit on your seating line and why? Give us a, a, a brief reason why. Okay, well, right now, um, as of this morning when I updated it, I have Washington sitting at, ironically, 38. Now, that doesn't – that's – one of the few that would actually match up with their net number, which would put them in the 10 seed. And right now, they would be, quote, in the field as the projected champion, right. as the automatic bid. Right. So they would be a 10 seed right now as the, as in your case, in your example, the Pac-12 champion and the automatic bid. Let's assume they didn't have an automatic bid, and today were Selection Sunday, and let's say Arizona got the automatic bid, would you project Washington to be in the field if today were the day? Given the other profiles that we have around us right now, right. they would probably be in that first four. Okay. There's sometimes something to be said. I haven't lost anybody bad either. You know, they, they don't have anything near a bad loss. Um, you know, in fact, if you compile their average losses for the net, it's at 19. So, you know, that's a really good number. And if you look inside some of their scores, they lost at Gonzaga by two points, and they lost to Minnesota by two points. The only game that really got out of hand was that early game at Auburn. You know, and the fact that they've, uh, you know, won two games on the road, um, et cetera, and their overall strength of schedule is pretty good, I would probably tend to believe that they would probably just squeeze in at this point. And be playing in one of those... Uh, they used to call them opening round games. We call them playing games. One of those two Dayton dates on that Tuesday or Wednesday. That's where they would be I, as I, of today. I would think that would probably be a very fair assessment okay. of where they could be, maybe slightly above it, okay. but in certainly in that ballpark, one of the last four to six, seven teams in. Yeah. Okay. So uh, bracketville.wordpress.com, Bracket Guy Dave, as I said, he has been listed as his uh, his projections have been listed as the best of the 127, including Lenardi, including Palm, and all the different uh, all the different sites, you are listening to the voice of the guy who's gotten it better than or closer than just about anybody out there. He says, as of today, he would peg Washington if they were in the at-large pool as a as kind of a first four play-in game type of team in Dayton, Ohio on that Tuesday or Wednesday. But of course, there's 15 more conference games to play and Washington's off to a great start. And they've got a couple of games at home uh, this coming week. Uh, how many of the Pac-12 teams would be in as of today and who would they be? Well, when I updated it this morning, um, I have three. And I actually did a little story um, Saturday morning early. You know, I'd put the over under uh, if you were going to do that kind of scenario. Um, you know, for the Pac-12, I think a realistic over/under right now would be 2.5. Arizona, Arizona State, and Washington clearly are the three, right? 
Yes, that okay. would, those would be the three. What, or, and, what, know, what, order, what order would you put them in as of today, Dave? Well, as of today, um, I would put them in Washington and then Arizona State and then Arizona. Okay. But Arizona State and Arizona both in the play-in games. Okay. Um, and, you know, the, the thing about Arizona State is they have one of those what we call kind of a quirky profile. I mean, for example, you know, Washington, we just said, doesn't have any Group 1 wins as of this recording, but... Arizona State has four, but they also just lost at Stanford. They lost at home to Utah, and then they lost the game at Princeton. So this last couple of weeks hasn't been very good for their profile. At the same time, you know, the committee has been very adamant that they look at a whole season, and there's not a lot of other what you would call bubble teams that would have wins over Kansas, Mississippi State. Let me throw some uh, some quick hitters at you. Give me some quick thoughts on where these teams are right now. Uh, across the state, Gonzaga, uh, we've seen them beat a lot of teams in the in the early uh, non-conference, which they always do. We saw them lose a game or two. Uh, you got them as a number two seed right now. If if today were Selection Sunday, and are they are they in trouble in terms of one seed because they just don't play a good enough schedule conference schedule to jump up to a number one seed? Well, I think uh, you know by March it's possible certainly that Gonzaga could be back in that conversation. Uh, particularly now they're at full strength again. Um, they just won arguably their toughest road game in conference at San Francisco. Um, so. If you look and, and you go that out, could Gonzaga end up with you know two or three losses again by the time we get to Selection Sunday? Yes, and if they are, they'll certainly be in that conversation for a one seed. <clears throat> the biggest issue that they have right now is that there's five or six teams ahead of them that just have stronger profiles because of the wins, and they may have potential to even get more of those wins. Um, and there's a couple teams behind them that could be in that simple similar situation so it may not be a year where Gonzaga is going to get back to that top line but they're still going to be a very high seed um in in reality a one is obviously better but um you know a two seed would in the in the west region would certainly fit uh, Gonzaga very well come March you you think there are two today there are two right now yes I do I, I don't think there's any question okay. that they'd probably be on the two line All right. uh, and where where of the twos are they a high two a low two or a middle two well, you know, kind of in the middle, I, okay. I would have them seven on the seed list this morning. Okay. Uh, the, okay. the two line would be Kansas, Michigan State, Gonzaga, and then Texas Tech. Okay. Tell me about the one seeds as of today. I'm assuming Duke and Virginia out of the ACC. Michigan's been great. I happen to have been, uh, been impressed with Tennessee over the, over the first few months of the season. Uh, where do the number ones sit as of today in, in Brackettville, the number one bracketologist? Where, where do they sit? Well, Mitch, you may need to put yourself in that category because you just named all four of them. I did. So I would go Duke um, in the east, Michigan in the south, Virginia in the midwest, and Tennessee in the west, and that would be the order that the one seeds would be as of our recording. Okay. Um, certainly that, you know, Duke and Virginia, they're going to they're gonna play each other, and so, you know, that order could change for either of them or both of them, for that matter, um, you know, as we move forward here. And I think it certainly looks like right now the, the Big Ten is going to be a battle between Michigan and Michigan State. Uh, I think the winner of that has a real good chance to be on the one line. Um, and Tennessee has, you know, been nothing short of impressive with the way that they've played and how they've played. Um, and I, I certainly think at this point they have to be considered the SEC favorite. 
Um, and whether we have, you know, the Big Ten with two number ones and the AC with two number ones, or whether Tennessee holds on to that, or wait and see, you know, does Kansas get back up there? Yeah, you know, it, there's really about, you know, th- those top eight. I would say all right now are in a legitimate conversation to put themselves in a position to be um, contenders for the number one seeds come come March. All right, last question for today. Uh, you are listening to Dave Amon. He is the author of Bracketville. If you want to find him online, bracketville.wordpress.com, or you can go to Bracket Guy Dave on the Twitter and follow him. Ranked number one of all bracketologists. I used to put Lenardi on the spot on the radio show, so I'm going to do the same to you. It's unfair to you because you've not heard this before. You'll be more prepared next week, hopefully, when we do this again. Um, high flyers and free fallers. Over the last week, last week's results, give me one team or two teams that have really jumped up the at-large ladder, and give me one or two teams that uh, have not done well for themselves and have dropped in the last week. Is that unfair for me to put you on the spot? No, we can do that. Um, in terms of climbers in the last week from, you know, say Sunday a week ago till Sunday now, Yep. I would say that the biggest risers would be Iowa and Old Miss, and probably in terms of teams going in the other direction, you would have to look at example for a team like St. John's, yeah, Mississippi State, yeah, um, would probably be two, and then of course Arizona State, as we mentioned earlier, you know um, they have a lot of good wins, but they're going to have they're going to have to stop losing to people that they should beat. Okay, and I, I lied. One more question. What games should we look at? What games interest Dave, bracket guy Dave, that have will have big meaning come Selection Sunday that might be played between now and the next time you and I get a chance to visit? Well, if we look ahead at games, you know, coming up this week, obviously, you know, with the Big Ten and the ACC being so deep, you know, almost any night you could pick a game in there that, that that's going to matter. But if you want to pick out, sure. you know, three or four this week, it, you know, it's a critical week for a team like Syracuse who – um, seems to proverbially find themselves on the bubble. Yeah. You know, they just lost a home game to Georgia Tech, and now they got to go to Duke tomorrow night. Um, you know, so that, that's a game that for them is going to be very big. Um, you know, Texas is another team that's starting to pile up losses like they did last year, and they got a trip to Kansas. Um, if, if you're looking for some bubble teams, Florida and Mississippi State, Florida's a team a little bit like Washington in the sense that you know, their power numbers are really good, but they don't have that big win to show for it yet. Um, and Mississippi State just lost at home to Ole Miss, so that's one on Tuesday um, that I, I would certainly keep an eye on. Um, as we go down a little bit later in the week, you know, there's some bubble games in the SEC like Alabama at Missouri, and then you have Creighton at St. John's. You know, that's a huge game in the Big East at this point. Um, and then, you know, by that time, you get Maryland at Ohio State. Can Ohio State stop that little sl- mini-slide that they're on, and that's a Friday night game. And then next Saturday, you know, Michigan is at Wisconsin. That's going to be a, a big test. Wisconsin's been sliding a little bit. You could have thrown them into that mix. And then how about this, Kentucky and Auburn. Um, Kentucky at Auburn. We're still trying to figure out how good Auburn is. You know, the metrics love Auburn and they've won a lot of games uh, by big margins, but they, too, don't have that signature win. So, 
you could probably go find 10 more if you really wanted to, but uh, I'll, I'll uh, throw those out there for tonight. And you would, uh, you would recommend to Washington Huskies to beat Stanford and Cal at home, and so the next time you and I maybe you're talking, they're, they're 5-0 and in the conference. You don't, you don't like the idea of 4-1. and you like the idea well, of five and zero? Not not against those two opponents. No, those those would at home, uh, at home uh, too. Yeah, right? at home would yeah. be would fall into that dreaded bad loss category. So um, when you don't have any marquee wins, you definitely want to keep the bad losses off the ledger. You're terrific. Your stuff is terrific. You're terrific. You're nice to join us on Mitch Unfiltered, and uh, I am looking forward to a, a a nice relationship for everybody who's uh, who's joining us. It's Bracketville. It's Dave Amon, bracket guy Dave on the Twitter. He was ranked number one. His service was ranked number one of all the bracketologists, 127 of them to be exact. Of those that have been around for five or more years, you just heard the voice of the number one in the last uh, several years. Thank you so very much. We're going to uh, be rooting the Huskies and the Pac-12 and Gonzaga on. For me, it'll be Syracuse against Duke, as you point out, and uh, We'll visit with you in the next, hopefully in the next week or so, and and get a little update from you if that's okay. Uh, yeah, I'd love to do it again. It's always fun to talk basketball, and uh, enjoy being with you this evening. One bracketologist in America, statistically over the last five years, thinks the Washington Huskies, if the selection committee were making the decision today, would be in a first four game, an opening round game on that Tuesday or Wednesday in Dayton, and. Who knows what could happen next week at this time if they were to win against California and Stanford, get to 5-0 and in the conference, and then have some other bubble teams around them lose. My suspicion is, is that one week from now, in episode, what would it be, number 16, the Washington Huskies could be squarely in the field as an at-large team if they weren't winning the Pac-12 and the automatic bid. 2019 is underway, and what a year it's going to be at Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Al and Dimitri have tons of opportunities for you in virtually all the price ranges, from a fabulous selection of certified pre-owned vehicles to a new electric Jag, which is now in stock, to the family Land Rover Discovery model with the third row seating. The new Discovery is the best value family on the SUV market. And if you're really adventurous, the upcoming return of the iconic Land Rover Defender is now being discussed and written about all over the automotive world. Get on the VIP order list at Land Rover of Bellevue. And as I've said for years, you can't beat Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Many dealerships try, but to no avail, the best sales team, a dealership environment where you'll notice the difference. The service department there is grade A. I have gotten umpteen cars from Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue and have them serviced at their service department over and over again. Just off of 520 on the Northeast 20th Street in Bellevue, Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Unfiltered. It was a very, very big weekend in the world of the National Football League and sports, and I would imagine that our next guest, who joins us all the way from where, Dave Mason? All the way from... Central America, Costa Rica, Panama, Central America, <laughs> all the above. <laughs> you, don't have, you, don't ha- you don't have an accent. Where are you from, Dave? Uh, originally from the uh, Philadelphia area, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a Tico by any means. <laughs> where, where I call home and uh, have resided for a while now. Yeah, and tell everybody what brought you... What brought you to that part of the world? 
Um, working for the uh, offshore uh, gambling industry. You know, I was, I was grew up a big uh, sports guy and, and, and better, and always loved the odds and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's something I wanted to get into a long time ago. Met some people, did some networking, and uh, made the move years back. And then here I am. Uh, survived a number of years. You know, <laughs> kind of a lot of people don't survive that long down here. It's kind of a wacky industry and a wacky part of the world. If you're up north, you know, uh, a lot of people burn out pretty quick. But uh, I made it through. Here I am. I'm still standing. Are you okay with the Eagles bowing out? Or are you, uh, no. are you saddened by that? Business-wise, I'm happy because we it was a good score for the house. But uh, but no, uh, yeah, I was I was rooting against the house in that game, and uh, yeah. I was rooting for the hometown Eagles. So I was with a couple of my Philly friends down here, and we we're cheering, and and uh, just came up short, man. What what can you do? So to put this in its proper perspective, so that everybody understands, in many of the states still here in the United States, including the one that most of our listeners reside, the state of Washington. It is illegal, so we're not we're not telling you to go out and do something illegal, but we're bringing you the gambling aspect of this weekend. Dave Mason is our guest, and Dave works for a an off uh, an off coast uh, online betting service called Betting Online, right? Bet BetOnline.ag. Give us the history, if you wouldn't mind, of that of that group. Uh, yeah, it's a long history. I mean, we've been, we've been in business for about two decades now, going on 20 years of, uh, taking action from North Americans and our specialty, our bread and butter is us facing and Canadian facing sports, you know, uh, NFL, college football, NBA, college basketball. There are biggest baseball, do some good NHL action. And then, uh, you go from there then, but we do all, we do have a worldwide clientele. So we offer everything from cricket, uh, you know, stuff that I don't even know called like snooker snooker I guess it's a form of pool but <laughs> whatever if, if, you, if there's a line on it out there somewhere <laughs> in the world uh we got it you know uh-huh. soccer is uh, an improving sport uh not an improving sport but a, a sport that's getting more and more action every year we had soccer odds from all over the world some guy asked me for some Belgium odds today I didn't even know the teams but we put them up for him and uh yeah, people like their actions, so we got it. You don't just keep it to sports. You were uh, you were telling me about the uh, the wagers that the prop bets that are available for the Bachelor. The uh, there were some some prop bets available for the presidential address last last week, right, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if it's an event, you know, we we want you to be able to bet on it. You know, it it works two ways, guy. Our clientele likes it. I mean, that's kind of stuff you can't really bet in Vegas either, stuff like that on The Bachelor and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, The Bachelor, you know, I don't know this personally. I don't watch The Bachelor, but, you know, I, the, it's a big show on Monday night, and I guess the uh, big storyline this year is this guy, The Bachelor, his name's Colton. Apparently, he's a virgin. So the other day, I was like, okay, this is a big story. Everybody's talking about it. Will he lose his virginity during the season? <laughs> yes, no, and uh, and good good news to Colton that we have him as the minus three hundred favorite to lose his virginity by the end of the show. So yeah, uh, the presidential dress, anything with Trump gets huge action. I mean that that election in twenty sixteen. I mean that was just unbelievable watching the action coming in on that. And we had live betting all during the day, so we had odds during the day, and just how those odds flipped from. Clinton was a huge favorite, and just watching those polls on you know on the news channel and those states turning to red or blue, and watching those odds come in and how the odds change and Trump 
slowly be his eyes are coming down and all of a sudden Trump's the favorite, then he's the heavy favorite. It, it was amazing to watch. So uh, anytime Trump's doing anything, I mean, it's it's uh, it, it, it's a betting event. So, yeah, you had a, that quick address the other, the other night about the wall and, you know, over under on how many times he's going to say the wall. Will he say a big, beautiful wall and, and all sorts of good stuff? Did and he go over? It, did he go over on the wall, or did he was he, un, no, was he under? No, it, it, it was under. It was under on the wall. So, okay. Uh, okay. You, you know, it was, was kind of <laughs> it was a quick it was a quick speech, and we didn't we didn't know how long he was going to be talking for. You know, uh, so it, you know what I mean. So and he and I think he only talked for a few minutes. So our, our odds were pretty are a little high on it, but uh, but yeah, people love bed. That's one thing. Whether, whether no, I don't care what your feelings on Trump are. We're going to be sad when he goes because he tra- he drives so much action uh, on on anything, you know. And he has a press conference or whatever. We put odds up; people just love it. What color tie he's going to wear? Everything they'll go bet on anything when it's Trump related. Dave, I hear a lot of Philadelphia still in you, man. I lo- I hear a lot of Philly in you, brother. Let let's uh, let's talk about the weekend that just concluded. Uh, everybody is aware, everybody in the gambling world, I guess I should say, is aware that 14 of the previous 15 playoff games heading into this past weekend were uh, covered or won uh, from an odd standpoint by the uh, the underdog. 14 out of 15 won by the underdog. So I'm imagining that when you put the lines up on uh, betonline.ag, that uh, the underdog was the big play in these four games, and as I as I understand it, I th- I think the uh, the favorite covered beat the spread in three out of the four. Isn't that right? Except for the Eagles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, usually, usually the betters are betting the favorites. You know, during the regular season, whatever betters are. You know, seventy five, eighty percent of the time, we're rooting for the underdog. Um, but but that kind of flipped the script this year. The, the, the betters did a 180 this past weekend, and uh, because of exactly what you said, uh, the the uh, the the, the, the underdogs have been covering at such a rapid pace during the last two postseasons that the betters adjusted and they started betting the heck out of them, and all of a sudden we're rooting for the favorites. Mm-hmm. Now the big decisions were the money lines. Um, okay. We we people were pounding these these underdogs to win outright. So they were taking that plus money, betting them pretty big to win outright. So yeah, we won on the spreads, uh, three yeah. out of four of them. Yeah. But 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 the money lines were the real big winners for us on all four games. We won big on the money line. So it was a good weekend. We we got beat up last weekend. That that, that same thing last weekend wild card weekend that the public was betting. They had two really big wins, and the, the Eagles on the money line and the Chargers on the money line. And, uh, you know, they're both underdogs, a plus money. So they beat the heck out of us last Sunday. But this weekend we came back and, and the scored the divisional round for the house. Best weekend of the year, NFL-wise, for the house and in Vegas, would you imagine? Three, without a doubt. You okay. know, some of those, I, I can't recall one weekend earlier we had probably a bigger Yesterday was huge. Yesterday was huge. Today was big. Yeah, Top three, without a doubt. Definitely the be- the best postseason weekend we've yeah. ever had yeah. so um yeah. yeah it was a great postseason, best postseason ever right. weekend ever for us so, so a lot of losers out there a lot of a lot of losing uh wagers though they did well the previous week we're we're talking to dave mason who works for betonline.ag one of the offshore betting sites one of the very popular ones over the last 20 years in business okay quickly uh look forward dave 
to the uh, conference championship and maybe even beyond to the Super Bowl. What are the numbers? What does it look like? Where's the early action? Has there been movement already in the AFC and NFC championship games? Uh, yes, there has been. Uh, we, we opened the, our one, one thing about betonline.ag, we're going to do a little sales plug here. We, we open our odds before every other book, 99% of the time. So we had the Rams, we opened them up at plus four at the Saints yesterday, and they're currently plus three at the Saints. Okay. And the Patriots, Chiefs, we also opened the Patriots plus four yesterday after the Chiefs game, and they're currently plus three. So a lot of that is dependent on, you know, how the Patriots look and, you know, everybody's saying, oh, the Patriots are done, they're done, they're done. And then today they went out and <laughs> looked as good as ever. So that quickly moved from plus four to plus three. As far as the early action is concerned, 60% of the early betters are on the Saints in the NFC Championship game, and the AFC Championship game is pretty even with 52% of the early betters on the Chiefs minus three. Who would be of the four teams, should they make the Super Bowl on the neutral field, obviously, in Atlanta in the Super Bowl, which would be the most powerful team, do you think, in terms of the odds makers and the odds? Who, who guarantees themselves to be the favorite if they win their conference championship game? Or is that not decided? As of now, I mean, again, a lot can change next week. You know, if the Patriots go out and kill the, the Chiefs and, and the Saints squeeze by the Rams or the Rams squeeze by the Saints, then the Patriots are the number one power-ranked team. Um, as of now, uh, it's the Saints. They're, they're number one power-ranking. Uh, they'll, okay. they'll be favored all over the other two teams. Okay. They're also favored to win the Super Bowl right now, a plus 175. Okay. Chiefs are up. Chiefs are up next at plus two seventy five. Um, you know, but that that Chiefs, that if the Chiefs, if the Saints play Chiefs or Patriots, you know that that spread's going to be about the same either way. It, it'll be shoot on a neutral field. I mean, we're we're talking heck. That, that's going to be it's going to be a close spread. Any of these games are going to be you know a two point spread or so either way. So which it, match, we're not gonna have, which matchup drives the most action? Certainly a Patriots. Well, maybe the Chiefs too. What's the what's the game that Vegas and you guys would prefer if you could if you could choose? For, from a pure action standpoint, yeah, it it would be the Patriots Saints. Okay, Patriots Saints. Okay, yeah, and you think the Saints, depending upon the outcomes, would be a a small opening favorite against the Patriots? Yep. On a, yeah, on a neutral field, they're yeah. they're going to be yeah. even minus minus two probably. Okay. okay. Anything on the Super Bowl already on betonline.ag that would be interesting? Any prop bets, anything that we should know of? Anything interesting going on <clears throat> before we even I mean, get to Conference Championship Week? Yeah, yeah. no, we just have the uh, the futures up now. Uh, like I said, Saints are plus 175, Chiefs plus 275, Pace 325, and the Rams are plus 350. More of more the props, and we'll, we'll hold off on the Super Bowl props. I mean, we'll have 500 dang props up by the time of the Super Bowl, and that stuff is to come next weekend, next Sunday night, next the following Monday morning. We'll yeah. start churning those yeah. out, and, yeah. Yeah. you know, I like to, I like doing all that wacky stuff. and fun. Uh, fun. Yeah, I, I love doing all the wacky stuff, so I'm looking right now. But, you know, I, I, I tweeted out today, you know, the Patriots, it's like we've been there, done that with all their wacky props. I mean, every year it's like, you know, color of Belichick's hoodie. Gray, blue, red. I mean, who cares anymore, man? We need some new teams in there. I'm, I'm so tired of doing these unique, quote unquote, uh, unique Patriots props. When will they show Giselle in the crowd? I mean, we've 
been there, done that, man. We need some new teams. We need we need the Chiefs in there so we can do some wacky stuff with Mahomes and whatnot. But uh, we'll see. I don't think a lot of people would disagree with you, but I will say this, just from one man's opinion. When you just read the futures as of now, you just told me that I can wager on Bet Online if I could do it legally from the state of Washington, which of course I can't. You just said to me that I could bet the Patriots right now to win the Super Bowl and get more than three to one, three and a half to one on my money. Is that right? Plus three twenty-five, so wow. right under three. I could yeah, get three. Right I could get three and a quarter to one on the Patriots to win the next two games, even though they got to go on the road in an underdog role at Kansas City. And I'm not sure that I would pick the Patriots to do it, but that seems like a pretty a pretty decent deal. That seems like a bargain to get three to one on your money on the Patriots with two games left. Yeah, I mean they're the Patriots, right? And yeah. it's the playoffs, right? As long as Belichick and Brady are there, I don't, you know, God, I mean, how can you, how can you count them out? I mean, right. like I said, how many times this year? I think it was about three different times this year. People are like, oh, they're over the hill, they're done. Yeah, beginning of the season, yeah. I think there's a little later, and even with the playoffs starting, oh, you know, Gronk's done, they're done, blah blah blah. And here we are, here we are. They 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 crushed their opponent today and they're looking as strong as ever so yeah plus 325 i mean i i wouldn't blame you for betting that uh dave thank you so much let's uh let's talk after you guys get those super bowl props out so that we can uh promote the heck out of betonline.ag right betonline yes sir dot ag it's great visiting with you dave thanks for doing this appreciate you being on mitch unfiltered thank you so much unfiltered All right, so Jason Hamilton, Jason D. Hamilton, London, Jason D. Sir, I'm going to call you Sir Jason D. Hamilton. Can I? Can we have a, a, another one of those patrons-only uh, late-night, uh, well, for you it would be in the morning, but late-night chats as it fits into your schedule before you come home, or is this it? This is all we're going to hear from you before you come home. Uh, I think I think we might be able to do that. Yeah, well, we, i, I got to figure out the schedule, but um, but certainly I think that would be fun to do. Yeah. You uh yeah. you want to you you want to stick your neck out as to what uh, how about this way? How about telling me what Super Bowl you'd like to see? What's the Super Bowl that you'd be most interested? In? Of course, you're going to join us at Zeke's at Zeke's Pizza yeah. Capitol Hill because I know you've checked on that now. You've done your due diligence yeah, on that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um what do you uh, what do you want to see? Okay, so obviously you know I'm not for the Patriots in any way, shape, or form. So that, that's 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 Chiefs. Okay. That's Chiefs on the AFC side, and I I just can't root for a division rival. So it's got to be the it's got to be the Saints. Um, you know, Mahomes and Breeze. You talk about somebody who's got a chance. There's not many people. If you think about this right now, there's not many people in the NFL that you can imagine breaking Drew Breeze's record. Patrick Mahomes might be one of those people. So it'd be an interesting Super Bowl with that storyline as the young guy, you know, a couple of years in against uh, the old sage veteran and maybe his last go around to get to the Super Bowl. But I think it's going to be those two. You think it's going to be those two or those are the two that you want or both? Yeah, I I think it's, well, it's the two that I would like to see. Okay. The two that I would like to see. You know, I, I do I think do I think it's going to be that? I, I don't know. I would like to see a Chiefs. Saints Super Bowl. All right, all right, and I I get the feeling that you'd root for the Chiefs in that game. You'd root for the young guy, Pat Mahomes. You'd root for Andy Reid, who by all accounts is like one of the world's nicest guys. 
Yeah. And he's had nothing but playoff heartbreak and, by the way, family heartbreak, if you read the stories about his family. Uh, I, I would have no problem with Andy Reid winning a Super Bowl and Patrick Mahomes being a young Super Bowl hero. I, I like that. I like that picture. I do. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. All right. Me too. Okay. Who do, you, who do you like? Who do you like? Hold on a second. You can't, you're not going to get off that, that easy. Who well, do you like? Well, I got to – I'm not going to – I'm going to save my picks for the Thursday episode, episode number, what would it be, 15 – uh, with yeah. Jason Lock and Ford, because I got that that bet with him, and I'm a I'm a game oh, ahead now. Right. I'm a game ahead. I went three and one. Uh, I went three and one both weekends, so I'm six and two against the spread, and I got a game lead for the uh, the Maryland Blue Crab and the uh, the Orioles tickets. So mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna make my picks with him official. I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I trust uh, uh, Kansas City in that spot. I don't know. I don't. I don't think I trust Kansas City in that spot. I have to give a hard, long look. I'm going to look back at that last game that they played against one another. I'll look at some numbers. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll do a little tail of the tape. But uh, it's going to be. I'm going to be hard pressed not to pick Tom Brady to go on the road at Kansas City and win. But I might do it. I might do it. But don't tell Lock and Four. I don't want him to know. Okay. <laughs> I won't. I, I have one more question for you because yeah. sometimes you know the the internet and technology, as you said, it, it hasn't really hasn't reached Europe yet since you said basically you're on you, you sound clear know. you're on a phone I mean you know, like you like you were surprised by that so here's what I remember site. here's what I remember as a kid when we went across the pond when we went mm-hmm. on on these trips that I've told you about when I was a young kid with the family I remember mm-hmm. that we could not find scores of games until like two days later they'd literally be two days late in the newspaper I, I, I think yeah. it was called the Herald Tribune, I want to say. There was no USA Today. There was no internet. You could not even find out what the scores of the baseball or the basketball games were for two days after they were played. That's what I remember. That's, actually, that's a great segue to my question. I was about to ask you, because I haven't seen any scores, how the Syracuse men's basketball team is doing. <laughs> I haven't, uh, I haven't been able to find, haven't been able to find the scores. So I was just, I was just curious if you could fill me in on how the Orange are, are doing there in the, uh, the ACC. Well, it's a good thing that the the Periscope isn't on me right now, because there'd be a third <laughs> finger up, there'd be two third <laughs> fingers up. Uh, we don't have time. You got to get to your meetings. We don't have time to discuss that. I, I know we don't. I just wanted to depart with uh, that, that last little bit because honestly, I you know I just haven't been keeping track. I, yeah, I just wanted to know. So uh, make okay. sure make sure you subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to Mitch Unfiltered and uh, listen back to the previous episodes that you've missed. We thank our our three charter sponsors for being a major part of this being possible. And they, of course, are Jaguar, Land Rover of Bellevue, Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest, and of course Daniel's Broiler, world class steakhouses. Um, if we're getting along, Jason and I will do maybe a patrons episode. And then we got, uh, (laughs) we got Thursday's episode number 15. I can't believe we're 15 in. We got to stop. People are asking us to stop numbering the episode. So I don't even know how you call them. I don't know how we're going to do it, but but, uh, we'll figure all that out. Hey, have a nice day, sir. Sir Jason, have a great day. Go, uh, go visit big Ben and ask him how Syracuse is doing. Go uh, find out. Yeah. I, I maybe you yeah. can catch a, catch a glimpse of Meghan Markle 
and uh, let mm-hmm. me let me know let me know how it goes. Okay. I will. I will. Thank you for uh, thank you for calling me across the pond. I appreciate that. You called me. You forgot already. Well, that too. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Bye, Jason. <laughs> bye bye. There he is, Jason D. Hamilton, and there is a very strange and weird episode number fourteen. Hello. Sorry, didn't I was hanging up, but I heard you were talking. <laughs> Come on. Uh, I was like, I, I got, I was like, I gotta go, and you just kept talking, so I just clicked you. All right, can I can I finish the show now? Yeah, I you know I'm still not finished the show. Else, you want to ring the bell? You want me to there, go get the ring? Hold on, I want to get the bell. Yeah. Okay. I can't believe they lost to Georgia Tech. Um. <laughs> yeah, episode 14 in the book. It is. <laughs>